The Perfect Ten with Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Yeah, welcome to The Perfect Ten, brought to you by Robson Civil Projects, our brand new naming rights partner. We're incredibly proud to have them on board. A family-run business for over half a century, employing hundreds right around New South Wales, including their headquarters on the Central Coast, North Ride in Sydney, Beresfield and also Musselbrook. So let's get down to business. Part two with former rugby league star Big Dave Fairley. We talk about the great JT, Jonathan Thurston, and what made him a champion both on and off the field. Dave elaborates on the heartbreaking 1997 final series where the Bears went down against Newcastle. He also opens up about his relationship with his rep coaches, Bob Fulton with the Kangaroos and Phil Gould at New South Wales origin level. And we start with his highest individual accolade. Nowadays, it's known as the Dally M. In 1994, it was the Rothmans medal. That was the year that it got leaked. The winner got leaked. So I remember uh, Matt Sears, who was a, a young fullback at the time, come up to me about two hours beforehand. He just said, mate, you've won it. You've won the Rothmans medal. I said, mate, well, let's just see what happens. It turns out it was the, you know, the worst kept secret in rugby league. And they never engraved the Rothmans medals from then on. And then eventually they turned into the Dally M Player of the Year. But uh, I remember being in Alice Springs about three months before that. And I was just watching the races of just you know out there with some friends and this guy comes up to me and says are you David Fairley I said yep he said you just cost me about $180,000 and I said oh sorry who are you <laughs> he said oh I'm Jared Daffy I own Centibet because <laughs> so, you know everyone everyone or some obviously people knew that I was going to win it so yeah great what an honour you know this, to be voted the best in the competition if you look at the honour roll just around you in the next couple of years Alfie Langer wins it Ricky Stewart Peter Sterling of course won it numerous times but yeah. rare for a forward to win it you go back to I think it was 89 Gavin Miller and Mark Sargent were joint winners. That's right, yeah. And I was really unlucky. Um, 96, I I just got pipped in 96. So I come second place there. But yeah, it was rare for a forward to win it. And I guess I've got to put you know, a little bit of credit there to Jason Taylor. Uh, he'd come to Norse as a halfback and he's a bit maligned JT but he certainly added to our team he, he just gave us something that we really never had and and we played a lot of sort of eyes up footy you know not a lot of structured stuff so one thing JT could do really well was pass the football and and you know I'd hate to be an edge back rower now just running these outside in lines and they use you up they hit you on the lead or they go out the back and you know did he catch on the inside shot or the outside shot whereas JT I just say JT give me the ball just pass me the ball I want it nice and early but I I hated being used as a decoy runner because I I just feel it it took away from the game it took away from my strengths yeah my strengths was like running the football into the line yeah using late feed I had a good offload so I could get the ball away so people knew if they will just give the ball to Daisy early you know we're a chance to get in the back and something happening and and that's that's how I like to play. By the way, do you remember the vote count? So I know the top three was me, Steve Menzies and Paul Green. I, I can't remember in what order. 94, another highlight, you make the Kangaroos. Yeah, that was that was this is such an amazing time. Um, so that was the last of the big tours. You know, that was three months. So the grand final was on the 29th of September. And I think we left two or three days later. And we didn't get back until about the 15th of December. So there was uh, 20 or 22 games on the tour. There were a lot of injuries. So I was fit. And I think I ended up playing about 20 games 
16 to 20 games on that tour and you had to because you, they only took 26 players and if you know half a dozen guys are injured well you just you got to play so you know you played on a Wednesday you played the main game the test matches on the weekend and even on that tour you know one of my greatest regrets was no regret it's just one of those things that happens in your life you know but my form was good you know you're three two one and I'd got a couple of players players in lead-up games and against good teams and then you know they announced the test team for round one which I missed out on which was fine you know which made me more determined to make the test team for round two so they announced the the test team for round two which I believe was played at Old Trafford don't quote me on that and I woke up in the middle of the night the night before the game and I was so sick I just picked up a bug a stomach bug and anyway Bozo came to the room checked on me and I just said man I feel really sick doctor come in they did everything I could to get right you know and I just got up the day of the game and you know when those times where you just you don't even have to think about it you're just so sick you just literally you can't even get out of bed and that was the day, the second test, and I and I couldn't play in it, and we won it, and it was yeah, it was just so shattering because you know, what what could have been, but you know, never got the opportunity. But you know, I got back on the horse, got fit again, got picked for the third test, got picked for the test in France. So my my the test match in France was um, Mao's last ever game. So that was that was pretty good. You know, think about things like that, little things that sort of just stay with you. So yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to play against Wally Lewis in his last ever origin and I played with Mal in his last ever game of rugby league and he would never he would never remember this but we played France and we were racking up a pretty decent score and he hadn't scored a try and I'd made this clean break and I'd already scored one or two tries and I just thought I can't not let Mal Meninga score in his last ever game so unselfishly I passed Mal the ball and he scored I remember that he wouldn't remember it despite you know I see Mal and you know, I'm good friends with him and but he probably says you know he got to try in his last ever game but he would have no idea that I passed it to him. Speaking of Mal Meninga he's one of my all-time heroes of course uh, I grew up in Queensland and I remember seeing Mal it was a grand final against Redcliffe and it was the late great Arthur Beetson's final game South beat them with a young police officer named Mal Meninga and also Peter Jackson playing in the centres that day. And it was unbelievable. And it was only a matter of time before he went to the NRL and became a superstar. Yeah, the, there was a big influx of guys that, you're right, went from um, that Brisbane competition to the Raiders. And, and that South team, that I think uh, you, know, you talk Gary Belcher, I think he was in that team. Wayne Bennett was a coach. So maybe the following year or the year after, 87, they all went down and... Um, play for the Canberra Raiders um, with a number of other Queensland. So there was uh, Steve Walters and Kevin Walters. Um, they went down to um, Canberra as well. But that, that Brisbane comp back then, that was a really like a tremendous comp and people think like now who wouldn't understand. But you know, half of the Australian team actually didn't even play in the NRL. They they played in the Brisbane comp. So And most of them with Winner Manly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so Winner Manly, I'm thinking um, Wally Lewis, uh, Gene Miles in particular. They were the, Greg Dowling. Yeah, Greg Dowling, which I actually showed my, my young bloke the fight the other day for Greg Dowling and um, Kevin Tamity in a test match at Lang Park. Colin Scott. Colin Scott. Yeah, list goes on. You mentioned about Bob Fulton. Yep. Around that time, you were also coached by Gus Gould. Yep. Tell us about the great coaches. Very different. I had a different relationship with Bob Fulton than I did with Phil Gould. Bozo, you know, I got on well. For a number of years, he tried to get me to go to Manly. I remember one particular occasion, we were playing Manly on the Sunday, and he rings rings me on the Saturday and says, are you interested in coming to Manly? <laughs> so he's playing mind games. 
But Bozo liked me as a player. He liked what I had to give. He liked the way I played. So I had a good relationship with him. Whereas Phil Gould, I'm not too sure whether Gus liked the way I played or, you know, look, I played 10 Origins. I certainly felt like I should have played a lot more and deserved to play a lot more. But for whatever reason, Phil Gould didn't. So I didn't really probably have a great deal of respect for the way he coached because I just wasn't part of his plans or the way he did things, which that's fine. You know, it's his prerogative as a coach and I only ever crossed paths around origin time if I got lucky enough to get picked. Despite being in and out at times, you're still part of a New South Wales group that win three in a row. Yeah, well, we had a good team. And once I was in the team, you know, it was the players that inspire you and get you up and and you don't want to let them down and and in that team too I had some really good mates you know in particular Bradley Clyde you know like when um when I went down to trial for Australian schoolboys Brad Clyde he was my billet so so he was already in that 1989 Raiders he was playing first grade very similar to me so he played in the NRL the very next year after year 12 so um myself and Brad we stayed good friends for a long time and still are so your friendships within the team in the heat of the moment well one first thing is you don't want to let yourself down you know like you in the moments you go out there and you play to what you accept as your stand and your ability and then then your teammates come into it and you know you don't want to let them down and in an origin you can't walk you can't clock off you can't lose concentration because if you do you know you'll get found out so whilst I probably didn't have the greatest relationship with Phil Gould I certainly did enjoy my time in camp and yeah, the lead up in camp and the good times in the old days and, and, and the players that we played with. Yeah, great fun. 95, you play in one of the most unbelievable origins of all time. 2-0 yeah. scoreline, yeah. Queensland coached by Fatty. Yeah, they just that was just that was just a fairy tale. But uh yeah, Fatty and he had a yeah, he, he makes it makes a joke of things about you know, when he first saw Ben Ike and he got in the elevator at the team hotel when they had to assemble and this kid in a pair of board shorts said, um, I do you know where the origin team's assembling? And he said, oh, you know, why's that, mate? He said, oh, I'm Ben Ike and I'm, I'm in, actually in the team. <laughs> and that's a true story. Out of my old school, Palm Beach Kurumban. Yeah. Hey, by the way, during that period, you play alongside a young halfback, Andrew Johns. What were your yeah. thoughts when you first saw him? Did you have any indication he'd be the eighth immortal? Yeah, he was He was just an awesome player. Like, you, you know, he, he could do things uh, really, really special. And when I left North Sydney and went to Newcastle, I can remember, you know, this is, gives you an idea of the mentality of, of Joey. We were playing Brisbane in Brisbane. And at this stage, so this was the year 2000, and, and Newcastle had never won in Brisbane for whatever reason. And there was about three minutes left on the clock. We were winning the game. The Broncos scored. We're behind the try line and I'm thinking you know and I'm saying this wasn't a mentality we had at North Sydney you know we always thought we could win but I I just never forget it Joey's eyes just lit up he said right this is like center stage games on the line I'm gonna win it for us like and I can actually remember him saying how good is this how good is this there's three minutes to go we're behind we're gonna beat it we didn't win okay but that's but to sit there and be in the middle of an NRL game and and watch this guy. He wants to be at his best when the situation is at his worst. And and to see that, yeah, phenomenal, mate. Just a just a an unbelievable player, competitor. And Andrew Johns's brother Matt yep. becomes your nemesis in '97. Absolute heartbreak. Wet day. Heavy footy. Matty Johns slots a field goal to go ahead 13-12. Yep. 
and it's that scoreline until the final minute. I mean, that must be the year at the Bears where the Premiership got away. Yeah, I can remember. So Daryl Halligan in 91 was the best goal kicker in the competition and to this day one of the greatest goal kickers we've ever seen. He's missed one from in front to win the game against Penrith to go to the grand final. So, Daryl. <laughs> and the other one I remember about the Newcastle game in 97, so Matt Sears was gone. He was away. Darren Albert chased him down and just got him just before he scored a try. And then another one of those semi-finals too, I remember um, Brett Mullins making a break and, and Matt Sears, he was super quick. He ran Brett Mullins down and stopped him from scoring a try. So, on those on those games, you know the Newcastle game in particular, that was that was heartbreaking. You're right, Matt Matt did slot the field goal, and I've got to say, um, I was so happy to see Newcastle win that game of the grand final the following week against Manly. Great game of footy, and uh, I actually only watched it the other day. And I was with Joey yesterday, and we weren't talking about that, but we we're just talking about how it was, how the games changed, and and how. The re- we're talking about the wrestling and all this type of stuff, which we don't agree with, and yeah, we're both on the same page. But Joey, he picks the ball up, he goes short side. There's absolutely nothing doing, so he's just realised he's just made a massive mistake. So everyone sort of just stopped and thought, well, someone's going to tackle him. Then he just went back the other way over this other side of the ruck and hit Darren Albert and, the, and Manly's long side. They just never tied in, and Darren Albert just went straight through and scored the try. Yeah, even when Joey makes a mistake, something good happened from it and he won him the grand final and you know, you've seen all the you know, party and then dying his hair red and going down the street and a skateboard. And- oh, mayhem. But, yeah. uh, you know, that grand final, yeah. like it's right up there with 89, yeah. in my opinion, Balmain versus Canberra. Yeah, it certainly is. It was a great grand final. The Balmain-Canberra one, I remember that really well because I, I played in the grand final beforehand and uh, in the reserve grade grand final and, and I talked to a lot of kids now coming through the grades and, yeah, what's different I think one of the big things that I feel is different in the game, so when I came through, I played the reserve grade comp, I played with men. So in my team, I'd just come out of high school. I was out of year 12. So I had Kerry Bosted played for Australia. Gavin Jones had played for Queensland. I had Scott Gale, Brett Gale, Ian French had played for Queensland. So I, I, had, I was playing with men. Our captain was a captain coach from the country, so he was a real hard nut. And you learnt very quickly that you had to get on the page and if if you you didn't play tough or you didn't do your job, well these guys were there and they they just gave it to you and that doesn't happen today. You, so you come through and you play predominantly kids your own age group and rarely do you see other players really hop into about players about their standards. The best I've seen, the two best I've seen about maintaining standards and also having the respect of the team and be able to deliver a message better than any coach can possibly deliver it. And one was Joey, and the other one was Jonathan Thurston. And, wow, like just to, just to sit back and see those guys, one at training, uh, two in games, and three in review or preview about an opposition. If you did not, if you missed your assignment uh, at training and you weren't where you're supposed to be, I've seen, you know, there's not many, two, not many guys that could absolutely rip into Jason Tamalolo, but JT did. And Jace, he respected him and he knew he was right. And he only ever did it because he was so competitive and he cared so much about the team. So he wanted to make sure that everyone cared as much as he did. And JT was always the first on the field and the last off it. 
and I, you know, talk about you know, kids, you know, how do you make it and all that type of stuff. Well, he was in his last two years, you know, I was lucky enough to coach him. And oh, I've got to say every session, every session he was last off the field and I've never seen anyone train as hard. So it was the first, everyone had been training for a few weeks and the, the older guys, they were allowed to come back a little bit later, you know, because of their age and that. And so Jonathan came back. So he's coming into his last year. So one of the tests they do now is called a 1.2. And so everyone had been training for three weeks and JT turned up. He said, I'm going to win this. And he said, mate, they've been training for three weeks. You can't win this. He said, mate, I'm going to win it. Watch this. And he went out and halfway through, he was sort of setting a good pace. And then he started getting the tight head on and you could just see he was just, just pulling the leaders back and he knew and he just kept going and going. And the longer longer it went, the harder he went, he could see them tiring. He could see the gap closing, and he won it. That was not fitness. That was his mental toughness and his attitude, his will, just refusing to lose. Yeah, I saw him win a lot of minor grade premierships at Canterbury. Yeah. He was just a winner even then, and says a lot about a man's character when he hands over his premiership ring to the yeah. great Steve Price. Yeah, well, you know, lucky enough to have. Yeah, spent three years with John and yeah, experienced one not only the type of um, player that he was, but what you just said then the type of person that he was. One of the most genuine, sincere, honest, funny. Yeah, JT. So when you get on the team bus, JT's seat was the first seat. You get on the bus, first seat on the right. That's JT's seat, which means so if you're there, you're first off the bus. So every time we travel in North Queensland, we travel a lot. So we've got to get to the airport, you get off the airport, you get to the hotel, you get your bags off the bus and get into the hotel. JT, and I never saw him not once not do it. He got off the bus, he walked straight off the bus, he went straight down to the side of the bus, he opened up the four doors and he just jumped in and he threw every bag out. And he did this for two years. He just did everything. Like he, that's like I'm just sitting there going, wow, this is like the greatest player ever. And he's just getting off the bus. So one of the one of the things I really liked about JT is that he never thought or never said that he was any better than anyone else. He he never put himself above anyone else. His his best mates in the club are guys you would never heard of, and also guys that you have heard of. So yeah, what a what a privilege it was for me to spend time with him. And like the All Blacks culture, JT sweeps the sheds. You're right. I remember that. That that's so true. And I was a little bit annoyed because um, yeah, there's a couple of people said, "Oh, he's only doing that because um, the television cameras are on." But that that is, I can say now that is absolute rubbish. Um, JT, it's like that's what they say about champions. It's what you do when no one's watching. And mate, I've seen JT out there in a Townsville summer and out there on his own kicking footballs for I'm not going to say hours, but over an hour on his own. There he goes, kicks it in the corner, kicks it in the corner, goes, gets his balls, comes back, kicks him in the corner, and no one's watching. You know, someone might peek through the window like me and say, oh, JT's out there practising. But, you know, it's no surprise here. Yeah, the hardest workers get the most luck. Dave Fairley on The Perfect Ten. In part three, you won't want to miss it. Dave names his best 17 that he played with or against. And he also talks about the scariest moment of his life during the Townsville floods. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to our new naming rights partner, Robson Civil Projects.
They go all the way back to 1950. It became official in 1962. Now they employ hundreds with 14 projects on the go right around New South Wales. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Perfect 10. Right now, let's go to Big Bob Peters in the soundproof booth. The Perfect 10.